guys welcome back to the pod you are in for a treat today because i am bringing to you a friend of mine who has started off his career in the military and then once he left invested so much of his energy on personal resilience and has more degrees than i can count on both of my fingers he is the md and founder of squared apples he has a phd in organizational resilience and you've probably heard of his OR organizational resilience model. He is truly dynamic and engaging and inspirational. My friend Aaron Grace. Hey guys, welcome to the Resilience Pod. Today we have someone called Aaron Gracie. Hello! Before we start, and before I quiz you, everyone who comes on the pod uh-huh. has to, to tell us and flip through this mood book. Okay. So I'm going to ask you this question twice. So yep. one at the start. So how are you feeling before this interview? All right. And then how you feel afterwards. Okay. So over to you. Have a look. Fingers does it have? Crossed. Does it have really petrified in it? <laughs> He's not, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, so I flick through. I think I find the one I like. I think it's that one. That just sounds too well. <laughs> okay, that's great. So, he's mischievous. Why? Because um, I like to not take things too seriously, enjoy it, because that then allows you to look at things from different angles. Okay, I like that. Okay, so at the end, we'll ask you this again. Okay. And you can still feel the same, but hopefully you have something else that... Sounds like a plan. Well. So, yeah, a good one, guys. What was your very first job? My very first job was... That's a tricky, tricky one, I gotta think. That's not that long ago. Um, actually, it was a tailor's assistant. What's so, yeah. so, <laughs> I was not expecting that at all. Yeah. So, ha, ha, working in a, a, tailor, a, a tailor's in Cheltenham okay. yeah, for, for about two years. Wow. Really interesting job because quite a lot of personal interaction and actually people trusting you to get things right because we really do the, t- the, the tailoring for weddings, funerals, you know, major events for them. So, relying on us to get that right. Because actually then they go forward and they, you know, they're wanting to look their best on that occasion. And yet they're putting that responsibility into my hands. He was a tailor's assistant. Who would have thought? Yeah, hence, hence, yeah, hence. Yeah, looking yeah. <laughs> nice voice coat. So, yeah. Okay, that's, uh, that's really interesting. So, moving on from being that your first job, how did you come into the whole resilience sphere? So, resilience sphere was an interesting journey. Because I went from, you know, from the tailor's assistant then um, going in, in, into the army. Um, spent, okay. you know, yeah. you know, spent four years, four years as a soldier. Um, so from that, I actually saw the you know, having gone through the process from entering in as, as you know, junior soldier through to seeing what pressures, what you know, challenges they were faced with. Now, after four years, I then um, advised to go forward to be commissioned as an army officer. Okay. So from that, I went forward uh, in 1998, became an army officer, and then for the next you know, 16, 16 odd years. Ran the role of looking after people, uh, people and doing some interesting jobs and visiting interesting places, and actually the four years that I had as a soldier helped me see it from a very, from a slightly different angle to the, okay. to, to my compatriots, because I understood the pressures that the soldiers were going under, yeah. so I could relate with them. It also meant that understanding the, the stress, you know, the, the tribulations, the troubles they were experiencing, allowed me to try and angle things and, and look at the person rather than just just the job to okay. look at both hands. So from that side, that's where the resilience element came in. Initially, it's looking at the personal resilience, but then building the resilience of the team and the capability. In the last uh, six years of my time in the military, having uh, you know, deployed to Iraq and being involved in setting up, okay. you know, setting yeah. up the, uh, the, um, the, the first free elections in, in Basra, 
and that would do all the security around that, is looking at how do we rebuild a failing state. So now I'm, I'm looking at resilience from a personal side of the house, but also right at the grand strategic level. Okay. Yeah. So having, having thought from that side, I, I then you know, stepped back and thought, actually, now could we take the same ideology, the same approach to help what we do for both a person and for, an, for a, a country and do it for an organisation? You know, and that's where then my, my, my thought process started to go and I, I ex started on my education journey. Um, from Which that we'll side. Go into <laughs> in a minute, that's a whole different story. So, your educational journey, um, we were talking earlier, and you said it's, it started quite late for you. So, tell the viewers just a little bit about that before you, t before you go into kind of what you've achieved since then. Okay, so the education journey, yes. So, GCSE and A level, I, I kind of didn't take it very seriously at all. Um, so, GCSEs, you know, one would say that I could, uh, I may have. Severely underperformed, um, and <laughs> I do. I was more interested in sports um, than I was in education. And then for my A levels, I went across to the to the Army Sixth Form College, okay, mm. uh, Welbeck College. And again, that was the idea for those going into a technical profession within the military. You go there and get the technical technical grades. Uh, I came out with I think um, a, set of, a D and E and a few flat flat zeros. Um, so again, the quality of education which was offered to me and the quality of education that that I accepted were two completely different things. Okay. Yeah. I was a very good sports person, you know, I was in the cross country team and involved okay. and enjoyed all that, but the education okay. wasn't my forte at that time in life. You know? And so from that it was then you know, where do I go from there? So I think at the age of thirty eight, thirty eight? Two thousand eight, thirty six, I then looked at myself and I see if I was to walk out of the military now, what could I give industry? Uh, and the answer was not a lot. What we identified was that you know, maybe the military, the, my military background and skills and, and understanding were not translated very, very well into industry. So that I then looked at, well, what could I do with my life? You know, and I set myself on to a very compressed education journey. So I started initially um, <laughs> on, a, on a, an, MA, um, an MA course on something nice and light. You know, international politics, strategic relations, and modern warfare. Okay, this, this is his version of light <laughs> doing politics. Okay, okay. so start start all that through King's College in London. Um, I was two thirds away through that, and I, I then started a BA honours four year program with Bournemouth University in into international business and management. Um, so I finished the the MA, and then was two thirds away through the uh, the BA. And I started to do a PGC as well because at the same time I was teaching teaching um okay. with the military as well. So, and as I completed the, um, the BA Honours degree and I came to the end of my PGC, I then launched myself onto an MSc in Strategic Leadership and Executive Management. Um, so that was, you know, that was a, a slightly compressed window. As I then left the military, I then um, set myself up and thought, well, actually, I've got this amount of research behind me. I've also now just achieved you know, a level seven coaching and mentoring qualification from, okay. from the ILM. What else can I do with it? So I decided to embark on a five-year part-time PhD. And away I went. Um, and in the last two years, I've also supported that PhD through doing an MSc in change management as well. Okay. So that's why I'm now. So I've finally just finished the MSc in change wow. management. Okay. Uh, and I've just completed the Viva for my PhD. Yeah. Awesome. So that's in the, the education journey as well. It is. And it's really inspiring that you started at the age of 36. 36, yeah. Yeah, 36. Uh, and that's not that long ago. <laughs> no, it's not that. No. Uh, it's longer, but yeah. <laughs> it okay. But it just goes to show, and, and to our viewers as well, that it's not about 
age and you can do anything and if this man can do it um, and he I mean I can't even count the number of degrees he's got on my fingers so if you can do it I think anyone can do it yeah and I think it's, it's just it's accepting that you know you're understanding what you do, what the capability of yourself is yeah you know stretch okay, you yeah. know stretching yourself but at the same time knowing what the art of the possible is what you need to do how you can do it I think the key thing for me was I've been really lucky about is the degrees and, and the, the education part you know path I've picked has mirrored quite well with the jobs I'm doing. Okay. You know, so the academic research is supporting the practical application of it, and therefore I can demonstrate the research in action. I think sometimes academics struggle to you know, demonstrate the research in, in industry, yeah. and likewise, industry struggles to take academia seriously because it's done within a, a bubble. So being able to actually punch that bubble, apply knowledge into a practical environment, you know, will actually justify the reason behind it. And, and so doing that, and what I'm hearing is that it, it's, it's also important to look at what job you're doing and then pick the appropriate higher education. To Absolutely, do. or at least you know, have a vision of where you want to go. Okay. And then with doing that, pick something that's going to help you with it. You know, maximize, you, you've got a limited amount of time. Maximising the time and your resources gives you the best chance of success. That's fantastic. That's inspiring. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so Aaron, you are the founder and managing director of your own company called Squared Apples. Yes, and, and, and an interesting concept. So, so why Squared Apples? So the whole point of Squared Apples was you know, doing all the research and, and, um, and the, the stuff I was doing behind it and, and looking at the personal resilience. It was how would I, A, protect it all, because mm -hmm. actually it was going into quite a niche area at the time, but B, how do I then take all of my knowledge and translate it to put it into action? Hence the reason for the birth of Squared Apples. And the whole idea, the whole strap line squared up was is resilience through leadership. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things you know I, I noticed because uh, as oh, it's been part of my my work within the uh, the military for the last couple of years was working with teams, rewriting the um, resilience standard for the MOD, um, actually looking at how teams prepared themselves going out into operations, um, and then part of my research is is really digging in deep into what went wrong and why, okay. and realizing a lot of those areas where decisions were being made. Um, at senior levels were not um, being either dragged through right down the bottom of or applied properly. So impacting on the resilience capability. And that's when you know, the, the whole concept of Squared Apples was, how do I take the knowledge that I've learned from, mil from the military time, working with industry, and then develop it to deliver something that actually can enhance you know, industry resilience and capability. Um, and so Squared Apples was born. And today, everyone, um, Aaron is gonna show us some of the resilience training tools from Squared Apples that he's made and yeah. the idea that it's your idea these are all yes. your ideas these are all my <laughs> child, as we say and he's got the prototypes with him today so I'm really privileged and excited that you're going to be able to show us yeah we're really glad some of these work okay. so stay tuned well concept but one that actually helps people focus on on emotions and how they can impact on each other so the concept here, and if, I, and if I give you this little pack, and we'll talk you through this pack. So the idea with these yep. is okay. that there are, 40, there are 48 emotions on, on each of these cards. Okay. And each card has um, a rating for either the emotional intensity, so how, how the emotion would feel, the impact on yourself, the social acceptability of the emotion, and also the impact on others. Okay. And the, con the idea being is that you know, emotions are neither positive nor negative. 
society has deemed which it sees as a positive or negative emotion. So true. Yeah. yeah. The idea of an emotion is to cause a reaction within you to respond to an external or an internal stimuli. So then if you're in danger, it will create something to make you make you move. Hence emotion and the concept behind it. So what we took is we looked and these again were looking at um, emotions and helping school children and you know, stu you know students going from you know, in junior school and the senior and the university to start building an understanding of an emotional language and being unafraid to talk about emotions. Okay. And what we found out is that students will then start talking about the card when actually they're relating to themselves. But the card gives them something to talk about. Okay. So it takes away the, the, personal, the personal okay. part. Yeah. So the idea being if you wanted to play just the game, you'd pick one of your cards and then you'd pick one of those four values and you know say what score you got. Okay, so okay. should we try it out Yeah, then? go and try it out. I, I have okay. no idea what I'm getting myself in for because Aaron has been putting me through my paces with all these games. So might as well go into the last uh -huh. one. Okay, so I've got some different coloured versions here. Yeah. Um, what do I, so what do I do? So all you got to do is out of those four values, very, very much like a bit like um, top trumps or something like that. So the four values there, you pick one of your values from your, one of the four boxes and say what score you've got in that box. I will then say what score I've got in that box. And if my score is higher than yours, I take your card. Okay, so so the first one says shameful. Okay, so that's that's the emotion. That's what we're going to talk about. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and then each of them has got a little graphic as well to try and relate to. The, the yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like those. Yeah. yeah. And the idea is, is picking one of the any one of those four values you've got in the card itself. So either emotional intensity, impact on you, social acceptability, or impact on others. Pick which one you want. Which one you think is going to give you the best chance of getting my card off me? Or yeah. Impact on you. Okay, and what's your score now? Fifty. So I've got one hundred and thirty-eight. So the very so I would take your card. Okay. So I got a higher value in you. So the idea here is. Oh, okay. okay. So the idea for for for, for the, the junior or the juniors in, in school is I've created a game, and that game is something they can play with and relate without actually having to concern themselves really about getting on the understanding about the detail of the emotion. But actually, it then allows the teacher, when they're actually finished playing the game, to talk about, okay, so why do you think, for example, being, you know, this emotion had a better impact on you than the one, than this emotion? So it generates an element of discussion. And the numbers on here. So, mm -hmm. guys, um, you can see some numbers on there. Which one do I pick? The highest or it's up to me? It's totally up to you. Okay. So it's your choice. Okay, so let's... Um, Let's play a few more then, because I, I I still don't know if I understand it enough. So let's do, so I'm going to show Aaron that, so he's not going to look up mm -hmm. what he is. And, okay, so, and then you show the, the audience. So I've got work. that one. Okay, so, so shall I start then? Yep. So I've got confident. Okay. Um, and so then I have to pick one of the four boxes. Yep. Uh, social acceptability. Uh-huh. 160. Okay, so I've got that, and my social acceptability is 115. Indicate, and the whole point about that is, it is more socially acceptable to be confident than it is to be vulnerable. So there, so it's now suddenly we can now then lead that into conversation. So the teacher within within, within school can say, well, why do we think it is more acceptable to be seen as being confident in, in, within the classroom than it is to be vulnerable? And that can then lead into discussion around emotions and actually. Being vulnerable is key to being authentic. Yeah. So vulnerable means I'm authentic. And I see leadership, good management, engagement, team dynamics is all about being yourself and being honest with others. So yes, you can be confident, 
but it's not. It's no problem being vulnerable either. And so these, these. Okay, let's do one more before. Okay. And while we're picking them, so you pick one this time. Uh huh. It's it's not just good for kids, but it's also good for adults. And like especially in the profession that we're in, we are helping. We're spending all our work time helping our organisations do all this resilient activity, yeah. but we're forgetting about ourselves. And I think this this is probably a really interesting way to communicate when it, you find it hard. It is. And actually, mm. you know, we, we use this with the change curve as well. When you start indicating where you see, would see these emotions in yourself or within stakeholders, you can then start talking about what activities would you do to mitigate those, especially when you start getting into the more you know, socially unacceptable okay. emotions. All right, let's do one more. Okay, one more. So I'll go first this time. Yep. So I'm picking this one. Okay. And I'm... Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I'm going to pick one that's, uh, that's interesting. So I'm going to pick this one, which I'm not, but this is going to be interesting. Okay. Okay. Right. So I go first. I'm going to impact on me as loathing I've got. Oh, okay. okay. It's 60. Okay. Um, I've got, um, so impact on so, you. Yeah. So you did impact on me, I did impact oh, so, so, on so, you. So impact, not impact, impact on, on you. you. So, okay. yeah, impact so, on so you. I could do the same one. Yeah, you do the same so one. So let's do the same one. I, okay. So I've got impact on you, 65. Okay, so you win. So you get but that. But the interesting, we picked similar um, categories of emotions without mm -hmm. realising. So interesting here, what you've got is we've got both you know, rage and um, loathing. Impact on you, so the fact I have on me or on me, is the fact that it's very low. And that's the fact it's now taking away from your own personal credibility from yourself. So, so the impact on you is actually ouch, you know, because actually having either rage or loathing is not very benefit, beneficial to me. No. Uh -huh. And so suddenly it starts stripping away itself. And that's what we'll highlight. And, the, and the, I've put this one down, but we have a number of other you know, different emotions you look at. And, and the concept behind it was you can play the player as a game. So actually I'm seeking to get all the cards off you. That's yeah. one way. The other way is you, you see there are different you know, colours. So actually you can play the idea of you've got to get a, you know, one or two families of the, uh, the emotions. So you can trade off and you can try and actually, I win if I get two families before you do. And that's why I was putting those colours as well. Okay. So it's created a game. But also the other way of doing it when you're working with adults is that you pick one and then you can discuss what that emotion does for you or for the individuals who work in pairs. And you can talk about what would be, what activities would you see which would create that emotion? How would you mitigate it? So there's a number of ways you can use this, both with, with children and with adults. Pretty awesome. Yeah. What's it called again? This one's called Emotional Stars. And this is available yeah. on your website too. It is, isn't it? Yes. And it's not just for children, it's for adults too. Um, and I think it's really important if you're going on the personal resilience journey for self self-reflection. It is, really. yeah. yeah. And, and, and we've had num num actually quite a few parents buy these to play with their children. Okay. Because actually it helps the communication. Yeah. Maybe I can play that with my husband. <laughs> 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 See what emotional level field we're on. So yeah, this is really good. Thank you for the demonstration. That's okay. It's really cool. Thank you. Books, I love them. Uh-huh. Have a little library going on and I like to colour code them, but that's a different story. Um, and you can always learn something from books, mm -hmm. obviously, but you can also learn something from what other people read. So I've asked you to bring your favourite book. Yeah. 
And not only has he brought one, but he's brought... <laughs> I brought three. Yeah. Because it's, it's never that simple with Aaron, okay? So if you're asking for one, he'll give you more. So, you know, he's put me through my paces with three games today. Now he's going to put you all through your paces with three books. And I'm actually really excited and curious to know what you've picked and why. So the, the first one. Okay, so the first one you know, is, is Frank Ledwidge, you know, Losing Small, uh, losing small Wars. Uh, you know, why, did I, why do I like this one? Because it's a real honest appreciation. Uh, review of how the British military have operated in the last 15 to 20 years on, on military operations, what went well, what went wrong. And because he's doing it from an objective point of view, it is quite brutal, it's quite honest. You know, it, it pulls out a number of layers of where things have worked well mm. and where things didn't work. Why is that important to me? Because actually understanding what's not worked well and how to address it is where you start building your resilience. Okay. Learning your lesson. The second one was actually, is this one, you know, from battle, uh, from board, battle room to boardroom. Actually, written by uh, oh. by uh, by uh, the, one of the professors I've worked with at the Defence Academy in in, in Swindon, okay. and he's actually taken a lot of lessons from the military and said, "How can we convert them into the boardroom?" Okay. Because if you now, if you walk into industry, you'll hear things like wargaming, strategizing. Yeah. Okay? They're using a lot of military language, sometimes not understanding where it's come from and how to use it, and you suddenly find that. When people talk about strategy, they're not talking about the high level 10 to 15 year plan. They're talking about the thing they're doing for the next three or four weeks and the confusion around the whole concept. So that's why I've got this. Again, a very interesting understanding and very powerful when it comes to change management. Okay. Because a lot of things he talks about here is how military have looked at doing decision making, questioning, interrogation of evidence and intelligence to help them plan 10, 5, 5, 10, 16 months ahead. Okay. That's we should be thinking about doing it. So that's that one. Okay, so and remind us what it's called so again. So that is from Battlefield to Boardroom. Okay. And who's it's it? Ivan, I, Ivan Yardley and, and a few others. And the third one, the third one is A War from the Ground Up. Uh, okay. Now, there's two, two reasons why I like this one. First one is it looks at you know, military as, as politics, because actually war is just an extension of politics. Yes. Yeah, and that's you know, from Clausewitz, who was a, who was seen as the grandfather of, of military thought. In, in, in the, he was a Prussian general in, in the time of Napoleon. The other one is this is written by Emil Simpson, who him and I used to you know knock ideas off each other and talk about things when we were serving. Oh, really? Yeah. So yes, Emil has actually taken all his knowledge and actually demonstrated that we can actually write a book about it and help you know business. So the concept when I saw he had done this, this is one of the things that actually spurred me on to do my PhD. Oh. I see. Actually, okay. you know, there is a lot of knowledge that you know, you know, military officers, people have, through you know, either research, understanding, putting it into practice, that we tend to forget and we tend to not understand why business would actually utilise that from our th point of view as well. So they're my three books and what actually why I like them. Okay, and interesting that they all have one thing in common, which is war-related, and that's obviously because it's your background. It is, but also I think um, when you look at you know we. We as humans learn an awful lot when we're put under pressure and under a constantly dynamic changing situation, yeah. which is what warfare gives you. Yeah. You know, you'll see the worst in humanity, but at the same time, you know, when you look at places, you'll see the best of humanity as it either works to, to, uh, to address problems which are happening around the world. Okay, so great. There's three books, so we've got not just one, but three. <laughs> so pick your, pick your best one. So, uh, wait, actually, question uh-huh out of those three which is your most favorite most favorite one is the battlefield boardroom okay Cause, okay because that shows how um the knowledge that i have i have obtained in a previous career can be dragged forward into a new career okay so i'm gonna buy that then um because i'm okay. buying every book that everyone comes in and recommends uh -huh. to read 
and so that's why I asked. So that's okay. if you were to boardroom. Yep. And that's good because it has a lot of lessons for resilience. Okay. There you go. That's the book to get out of all of them. You can buy all of them if you want. But if you've read any of these, then let me know and let Aaron know because it will be good to compare notes, especially with this one. <laughs> so we're talking about resilience. Mm -hmm. What does resilience mean to you professionally and personally? So let's start with let's start with personal. Okay. So what does that mean? How would you? Yeah. Mean? So that's because with that, it's um, for me, it's the ability to keep going, um, yeah. but understanding your limits. Okay, so, so, yeah. so, so, so I will have a certain level of personal resilience. I've got to be, I've got to A, know when my, my bucket is full, but B, when my bucket is empty. Because okay. when my bucket is empty, it's, that's when I need to A, stop, or B, look around within my social network, within my friends and family, go, I'm empty, help. Okay. okay. And that's, you know, so some people say, yeah, personal resilience is about going forward and bouncing back to where I am and that, that ability to keep going. You know, we all, you know, and some people say, let's look at the, um, the, uh, the recent test match, and not the one she's going on, but the one you know, he, he, um, Steve Smith hitting hit the throat by a cricket ball. We actually applauded him for coming back on again. You know, it's good sign of strength and resilience. Well, actually, later on, you know, the following day, he's, he's off the pitch with, with concussion. So sometimes your personal resilience is, I know when I hit my limit, and I know when I need to stop, and I know when to ask for help. So that's where, where the personal resilience is. Strong enough to keep going, but knowing, having the knowledge to stop. I like that. Hmm? Yeah, basic. And we forget them. Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah okay. we, we drive ourselves forward sometimes too far. Yeah. What about professionally? So professionally with resilience, and if I look at organisation resilience and the wider side of it, um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a people-focused um, event. Because if I look at this, and again, this comes back to my, my military days, I can have as many systems and technological advanced stepping stones I've got. If I take my people away, I'm taking the person out of the loop, so therefore I'm taking the decision maker away. So actually, my resilience as an organisation relies on my people, because mm -hmm. if everything stops and you've only got to look, if you if you take an example of you know two thousand and one when the World Trade Centres were hit, yeah. you know a number of organisations recovered not through the technological systems because actually we find out quite a few of them failed because of the damage done, but because of the, resi the, the resilience levels of their people, the people were able to adapt and overcome and you know, you know play outs, you know outside the normal parameters expected of business because it went above and beyond. You know, for the fellow human. Um, so I think that's key. Is for business, it is the understanding and looking after of your people. You know, it's got to be yeah. it's got to be people centric. Yeah. You know, technology, your systems, yeah, absolutely, they support it. They 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 power you forward. But your people are the ones who give you that basic agility to make you go when the when the things get really Poor tough. newbies into the industry. Be honest. Be yourself, um, and approach it with a questioning mind. Um, and the reason I say that is. You know, if you look, a number of people in, in the resilience sector have been come from emergency services background, military background, because that's how the organisation has recruited, that's how the whole industry is recruited. Um, you, you now see quite a drive for, of, of younger professionals coming through, you know, Buckingham University, Covent University, who start looking at resilience and emergency planning and stuff like that. If you're unwilling or unable to step outside the box, then you're unable or unwilling to be able to identify those black swan events that may knock you sideways. So, you know, unfortunately, enterprise risk management, all normal risk management, will identify those you know, high-risk issues and will have, have the ability to identify our low-risk issues, so we'll, we'll not do much against them to treat them. The key thing is those little things that sit in the middle which are very you know, high, you know, high damaging but very low probability of happening are the ones that slip underneath, underneath the radar. But yeah, you know, they are the ones that could really knock us sideways. 
So if you're coming in with a, with a question in mind, well, what about this, or what about that, or why do we do this, or let's help me understand this, then you help build resilience, even just by identifying things that people haven't thought about. You know, and, you know, we, you know, and we've trained a lot of people you know, to try and solve problems, but sometimes we don't allow them to go away and think about what problems are they actually are they being asked to solve. Okay. Yeah. Yeah? So if you're gonna, if you're gonna you know, bring in your talent for your, your, your people who can think outside the box, then you've gotta let them think outside the box. There's no point in buying someone and then put them in this box and say, think like this, because that's the way the rest of the organisation thinks. Okay. Yeah, if you want someone to come in and, and red team the situation or pull it apart or really get stuck in and be, un, and be unafraid to challenge the senior levels, build a Christian culture. That's where you build your resilience. Uh, okay, Aaron, so where can the Resilience Pod viewers find you? Okay, well, you can find me on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm, I'm on there. You can also find um, Squared Apples. If you put it in Squared Apples UK, we're, we're, we're on their web as well. So the website's set up. And actually, we use that, so you know the tools you've seen today are on there. But we also have um, a number of research papers on there as well. So okay. as, as an organisation, we write research. There's a there's a resilience blog running on there as well. Um, and actually, we also do quite a bit of stuff for the armed forces. So we, we support a lot of the armed forces charities. So again, so we have that on there. So you can find us there as well. So we're on that. <laughs> Another thing is, you know, we squared up is currently working with the Resilience Association as well. Mm-hmm. So that's you know a not for, a not for, not for profit organisation yep. which we're setting up to try and build resilience capability, knowledge, understanding, and bringing academic and professional people together. So again, you can find find us either by ourselves or underneath the Resilience Association as part of them as well. Thank you. So go and, go and look him up, guys. He's worth, worth knowing. <laughs> so we have come to our, the end of this interview for now, but guys, it's <laughs> going to be a part two because there's, there's literally uh, we don't have enough hours in the day to interrogate this man um, who is genius. How He's flipping through the mood book now, so we're going to see how you're feeling at the end of this interview session. Um, Right, so I've got, I've gone from, I've gone from mischievous, as we saw them start. Yeah. And I actually think, and afterwards now, I quite bouncy. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so actually, you know, quite, you know, oh yeah, the session's been quite fun. Okay, that's um, good. Yeah. You know, and from the bounce at high, so, you know, you know, I'll leave this you know, quite g'd up. You know, had a good time. Actually enjoyed the session. And going from the mischievous bit, which we've seen because I've put Rina through her paces. Yeah. You know, I knew when I brought the games out that yeah. this might be slightly yeah. different to a normal, yeah. a normal interview. And actually now I'm even having, having felt like I've had good fun and enjoyed it. Oh, and actually, so that's okay. why I said the bouncy. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're bouncy. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. And that's okay. sharing your insights to everyone and inspiring everyone. And sharing your inventions. Mm-hmm. Um, because you don't get them out there. And we look forward to having you again. Love to. On the next pod. Love to come across. Um, and let's see what see what challenge he's going to throw my way in. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those interviews. So thank you again. Yeah. Thank um, you for inviting me. Then.